Let's pray. So Lord, we want to say thank you for the things that you're challenging us with and the things that you're inspiring us with and the things that you're showing us in uh, these hours this morning. Lord, we're praying together that even those simple things which strike us so profoundly uh, can be easily forgotten and can be left behind. Lord, help these things to really take root into our lives, we pray, Lord. And we're praying for this session too, for this gathering, Lord. We just believe that you have a purpose for us in this room. We believe that we're not here by accident, but that you somehow have ordained this even from the foundations of the earth, Lord. So help us to get all that you want for us during this time. And uh, for the rest of the day too, especially thinking of Pastor Tom's uh, message later, Lord, speak to us. And let those things take root in our lives, too. And we're praying it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I've been uh, pastoring now for a while. I was thinking earlier today that uh, I think I started preaching when I was 21 years old, 22 years old. So um, almost 40 years now. And, of course, starting out as a young pastor, you want to do great things for the Lord, and you're always looking around for the best way to lead and, uh, you know, how to have the greatest success and all these sort of things. And you're always trying all kinds of new things and, well, maybe this is the way to go or that's the way to go or leading in this way or that way. I think probably as I think back over those years, probably the greatest impact that I have had on others and that others have had on me is by their example. Mm -hmm. And I just think this is such a profound thing that we just need to be reminded of from time to time. Because we're all examples. We all have people in our lives that we're an example to, uh, whether we like it or not. And that's both for good and for bad. That people will see things in our lives and they'll say, boy, I never want to be like that, you know. Or they'll see things in our lives and say, that's what I want to be like. I have a guy in my life who was a mentor years ago. We've since gone on different paths. Um, But whenever I think about this guy, I am inspired to pray more, to read the word more, to be more passionate for Jesus, So one night, my wife and I, Sandy, are laying in bed, and she's on her phone doing something, and I'm probably on my phone doing something. And she goes, oh, look, here's Jim. And he's preaching somewhere. And uh, she turns up the volume, and I begin to listen to him. And at that very moment, I don't even know what he was preaching on. I still don't know to this day what he was preaching on. But at that moment, I just felt inspired to live more for God, to be more passionate, to give more, to pray more, to read more, to do more. Um, because of the example that he was in my life. I'm going to share just a little bit about Jim uh, in, a little, in a little bit. But I just think that the example that we are to others and that others are to us is probably one of the most significant leadership skills that we need to harness and develop in our lives. Now, like I say, we're always an example. What I want to talk about a little, again, a little bit later on in this message, is how do we become good examples to those around us? So let's just start. First of all, you can see there in my notes, 
Um, Christian leaders have a mandate to lead by example. First of all, I want to look at this idea that's found in 1 Peter chapter 5. I'll read this section to you. It says this, For I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness, witness of the sufferings of Christ, and as a partaker also of the glory that is to be, re- be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sort of gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples in their midst. Peter is giving the young elders, perhaps, or at least the young people in um, this particular congregation, encouragement to lead in this way. Not as lording it over people in the sense that you're ruling by your position. You know, you have, because of your position, you have a little bit of authority. And so you are ruling out of that. He says, don't do it that way. Don't do it as if lording it over someone. But do it this way. Be an example to others. Be the example that you want them to be. And he says it in this way. He goes, first of all, that you are... Um, according to the will of God, not for certain gain with eagerness, not lording it over those, but proving to be examples. So it's this idea of, I like dividing up into these two categories. Uh, hurting versus shepherding. Not hurting, but hurting. Okay? So when I was uh, young, 100 years ago, uh, I worked on a farm. And uh, Sandy and I started out, uh, uh, we got married when we were 18 years old, and of course we didn't have anything, and uh, we bought a few things, and, and uh, right before the Lord called me to Bible college, I took this job uh, with, a, with a friend of mine on a farm. And so we were farming uh, for about a year, <laughs> sounds so funny to say now, I was a farmer. Um, we were farming for about a year, and during this time, it was a beef farm, and so we would always be loading cattle to go to market. And the way you load cattle is you get them in smaller and smaller and smaller corrals, and then finally you just have a chute that goes up to the truck that they go into. And you just you take a big gate, and you have several people with gates, and you just keep getting the corral smaller and smaller, and they're getting closer and closer to that chute. But even once they get close to that chute, sometimes they don't like going up the chute. So they have these things called cattle prods. And maybe you've seen them. They're like a, a teaser, mm-hmm. you know, and they have a big, long stick with bat, full of batteries, and they have the two prongs on the end. And, boy, you stick a cow in the hindquarters with that thing, and they'd get it up, you know. <laughs> they'd get it up into that, into that truck. Um, hey, Greg. Yeah. My grandfather shot me with one. Really? <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you feel it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so let me tell you another story. Before coming to Lake City Church, uh, I was on the Lake City part of the merger. Before coming to Lake City Church, I was pastoring um, a church of about 130 people. We had started the church. It was a, it was a, a campus church, a lot of young people and young families, a lot of, a lot of students. And uh, we were in the first... Blackhawk Evangelical Free building on Blackhawk Avenue. It was an old brick building with 
with uh, oak pews, sat 113 people shoulder to shoulder. And so we had our very first service in that building. We had Sunday school there. We did everything. We rented for $400 a month, if you can believe that. Of course, this is a long time ago. This, we started in, in 1991. Uh, ended up buying the building and adding on to it and that sort of thing. We had wonderful years of ministry in that place. I mean, God just, God, uh, of course, we don't start churches like this anymore. I mean, at that time, it was just my family. Hey, we're going to start a church. Bam. Okay. And you invite people to come, but you don't know if, if the same people that came last week are going to come back the following week. You know, you didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, but God started sending people to that church, and we just had just the greatest time of ministry until we decided to build. And when we decided to build, we were taking a big step. We were, we were, we were tripling the size of our facility, that little, that little building. We bought the land around it, and then we're tripling the size of the facility. Now, a congregation of 130 people, they just don't have a lot of money, you know. And this thing, the first, the first words we got back from our, our uh, uh, architect was, you know, like $1.5 million for this this small little addition. Well, we couldn't do that, you know, so back to the drawing board and, you know, that sort of thing. And so we had a lot of volunteers. We had the congregation was very, very, very involved in this building program. We had people coming in with our RVs, parking on the church grounds. Like we'd have, we'd have uh, laborers coming in and tradespeople coming in from around the country that would volunteer to build this building uh, because we didn't have any money. And so but somehow we sold the, sold the opportunity to come and, and help build. Those were hard days for me. I would come to the church office in the morning. In those days, I carried a briefcase. Not like today with a backpack, which is much cooler. I carried a briefcase. And I would come in the door of the church... And someone would want my attention right away, I mean, of the builders, you know. And I would set down my briefcase next to the door, and I would go help this guy. And then that would lead to someone else. Oh, we need help, or the electrician needs help over here. Oh, the, the plumber needs help over here. And I would go from, oh, Greg, we need, we need uh, you know, these things. Can you run to Home Depot for us and get, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll run to Home Depot. And many times at the end of the day, I would come to the door, and there would be my briefcase sitting at the door. <laughs> And I pick up my briefcase and I go home. Now, I wasn't the only one suffering because our congregation was volunteering, you know, to do a lot of this. And there was a lot on the line. I mean, there was hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars on the line. And so I hesitate to admit to you that I became a rancher during these times, you know, that I needed to motivate this congregation you know, to get this project done because there was so much on the line. And I tell you what, it wasn't very healthy for me and it wasn't very healthy for the congregation. I think back to this idea here of 1 Peter chapter 5. Is don't, don't use your leadership to lord it over people. Don't use your position to force them or to corral them into doing what you want. But instead, be an example to those people around you. This is Peter's admonition. This is the Lord's admonition for us. And there is something here that is absolutely, as I said earlier, and I'll talk about in just a moment, there's something here that is absolutely powerful. 
powerful. So here's the first mandate. Then we have, um, oh, I should have said, I should have, first Peter was your last one on your, on your list, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, I could tell you were looking at me kind of funny when I started there. <laughs> okay, so first of all is the mandate of Christ. You know, the mandate of Christ and him washing the disciples' feet on that, on that last supper evening. You know, I imagine uh, these disciples coming in uh, the room, the upper room, and they're walking by this basin filled with water. And everyone walks by and they see the basin, but nobody gets up to wash anybody else's feet. And so they're actually having dinner together before anybody gets their feet washed. And Jesus, in such a compelling way, gets up after supper, takes off his clothes, girds himself, and bows down, gets the the, the basin of water that no one else would use and comes down and starts washing the disciples' feet. Now, you know that this is the lowliest job in all of, all of a servanthood, you know, uh, is that this is, this is, this is left for the, the lowest, the last hired, you know, servants. You know, this is left for them to do. And so these disciples were not going to do this. But Jesus comes to him and says this. He says, he says, um, um, as you have seen me do, you do also. As you have seen me bow down and do this to others, serving others, you do this also. Guys, what a vivid example. I mean, Jesus could have preached a sermon to them on living an example. But when he got down on his knees and began to wash their feet, and it's, it, it's, it gets even better than that. I mean, you know these feet weren't in that great a condition, Right? You know that there's no, you know that there's no public uh, sanitary system. You know, you know that there's animals going to the bathroom on the same paths that people are walking on. You know all this. You know, and you know, I don't know if you ever thought of this. You know, one of those feet that Jesus wash, washed was not only Peter's and and John, the beloved disciple, but one of them were Judas. I mean, talk about an example that cuts to the heart. So there's that mandate that comes from uh, Jesus, a mandate that comes from Peter. And then, I know this isn't last, it's the second one, but the mandate of Paul. He says simply this, be imitators of me, just also as I am of Christ. In another place, in all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified. He also says to Timothy, let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith and purity, show yourself an example to those who believe. That's our mandate. Let me talk just um, not so briefly, but let me just talk a little bit on this idea about the power of example must not be es- underestimated. This is, this is about the power of an example. I mentioned Jesus washing the feet. There's also this passage that um, is found in the book of Thessalonians, First Thessalonians. Yeah, I already, I already went past the first one really quickly. Uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians 1.8. Uh, 
So I'm actually going to go back a little bit farther and read this. I'm going to go all the way back to five and start reading this to you. But this is what it says. This is obviously Paul um, speaking to the Thessalonians. He says, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with joy and the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, uh, for, for, for the word of God, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need of say, to say anything. Notice this word in verse 6, you became imitators of us. This is the word that we get our English word mimic from. You became mimics of us. And he goes on to say here in verse 7 that you became an example to others. So you first of all became mimics of us because of the things that you saw. And you became an example to other people. This word example is the idea of pattern. So it's like, it's like uh, how many of you have ever done the Christmas cookies that you cut out the or you've done some, some uh, sewing or something where you cut around the pattern sort of thing. This is the idea that you became a pattern to other people. Now, this is the powerful thing about this verse is that Paul says to them that you became an example to those in Macedonia and all of Achaia. This is where uh, Greece is now. You became an example to all these people so that we have need to say nothing. You became such an example that we have no need to say anything in these parts. Now, he might have been exaggerating. He might have said, he might have said some things. Uh, but the point is still true that their example was so great, so vivid, so powerful that Paul says we actually don't have need to do anything in these parts. So that was the example of the Thessalonians. Now, the example of some others. I mentioned earlier my friend Jim. Jim, uh, Jim started out at the University of Minnesota in the doctoral program as an aerospace engineer. So, of course, he, he did his undergraduate there, but then he ended up in the aerospace uh, uh, department doing his Ph.D. studies at the, in the aerospace uh, area and graduated his Ph.D., but while he was an undergraduate, he started a campus ministry there at the University of Minnesota. There wasn't a charismatic campus ministry at the university, so he started one. And Jim, you just kind of have to know Jim. He's, uh, he's probably a head shorter than me, uh, balding, even when he was young, balding, red, kind of kind of um, um, uh, gnarly hair, you know, sort of thing, just never just combed just right. And... Uh, Jim, although I'd never say this to his face, he had he had he had buck teeth. So his, you know, he, I mean, he was just not much to look at. But this guy was so passionate for the Lord; it was just inspiring. So he starts this little charismatic. I mean, I can just imagine, you know, 
this little charismatic Bible study that grows into a small church of about 200 people. And they buy a building and uh, hire staff. And they have, they're doing campus ministry out of this little building. I mean, they have three or four desks in an office, you know, and they're doing campus ministry all over the, all over the campus. It was at that time that I came to know Jim and he became a mentor of mine. While he was there, the church grew uh, um, to about 300. Uh, He was going to obviously go on to be an aerospace engineer. But as the church is growing, he gets an invitation from a church in Southern California with uh, uh, attendance or a membership or attendance, it would be, of 5,000 people. And they say to him, they say this, we're looking for a young David. And he accepted the call. He went out to pastor this large church, went out to a larger church, onto a larger church, and now is pastoring in, uh, in southern Missouri in a very, very large church. When Jim moved on, I took a position that he, had, that he was filling while, while in his role. I took over the position that he was in. And this was a position where it was, uh, it was, I was, I was directing campus ministry in, in the North Central region, in this five-state region for our denomination. And so I would go all over the region and talk to campus pastors and try to get new ministry started, that sort of thing. And as a regional director, I also sat on a national committee. I thought I was a pretty big deal. And, uh, and we'd fly all over the country because we'd have these national conventions. And so I'd fly all over the country into this hotel and they would wine and dine you, you know, trying to, trying to bring your, you know, your two, 3,000 students to that particular hotel. And we'd fly across the, the United States into another hotel and they'd wine and dine you there. And I thought I was a pretty big deal. And then when we put on these conferences, we'd have to get together from all over the country. And so we would all fly to some, you know, tropical location in the dead of winter. I don't mean tropical. I mean like southern location, you know, like Florida or something like that to meet for these meetings. I thought that was a pretty big deal. And of course, I'm probably, I'm probably still in my 20s, but... Uh, So at one of these conferences, we get there early, the 12, the 12 regional reps. We get there early to start setting up for the conference, one of these national conferences. We get there early, and uh, our national director says, hey, guys, we need uh, some people to help us collate the conference materials. And uh, we're going to be doing it in this room. If you could help, we'd love to have your help. And I thought to myself, you know what? There's got to be other people to do that. You know, I'm a pretty big deal. And I just don't feel like I need to be, you know, collating papers. So I went up to my room to pray or, you know, something like that. And uh, after a while, I'm like, huh, I should probably go down and see how those, that collating's doing, you know. So I didn't want to go into the room, so I just walked by the room. And as I walked by the room, guess who, guess who I saw in there collating papers? Jim. 
guys, it was like a dagger into my heart. It was like, who do I think I am? And so immediately went in and started to collate papers with Jim and the others. I think in many ways we are examples to people around us in, like I said earlier, in big and small ways, examples to people around us. I think we all are. But we all don't often have people around us that tell us about it, right? We don't often have people around us that say, boy, you know, when you did that, that's something that really helped me to grow. Or, you know, when you did that, that's something I said I'm never going to do in my life. But we have a friend in our family who has communicated some of these things with us. Now, I don't share these with you to make you think that we're something special because I don't think we are. We're just, we're just the same as you are. And we all, like I said, we all are examples to people around us. We just don't often know it. And so when, um, when our kids were young, now our oldest is 40, our youngest is about 30, uh, when our kids were young, uh, we lived in a small town with uh, 45 other families of Pahachiks. So everybody in town knew how to spell my last name. Uh, but a lot of, it was a small town, a lot of Pahachiks. And everybody knew everybody. It was a town of about 10,000. And my daughter uh, befriended a young girl, not this time there, like eight and nine and ten. Um, befriended this girl who was the daughter of a high school friend of Sandy and I. Sandy and I went to high school together, who was a high school friend. And we knew this about this daughter, that her mom conceived her in like a a one-night drunken stand, you know, sort of thing, and never had anything else to do with the father. We knew who the father was. We knew her very well. Uh, But out of that one indiscretion, uh, Emily was born. And uh, because she lived somewhat close to us, we just fell in love with Emily. I mean, she was just the sweetest little kid, and we just loved her. And we felt, we felt compassion for her because we knew that, you know, she didn't have a dad. And so we would often invite her over to our house, and my daughter and her became very close friends. Well, before long, we started inviting her to church, and she started coming to church with us. And she'd come to church... Uh, uh, with my daughter, we would pick her up, and she would go other times with my daughter when my daughter started going to youth group and other things of that sort. But then it came time for us to move to Madison. And when we moved down here, I thought, you know what? I'm not sure Emily's going to make it. I'm not sure she's going to make it because I thought it was because of us that she was going to church. I thought it was because of us that you know she was following the Lord, at least from what we could see. But I thought as soon as we moved away, you know, there's not going to be anybody there to take care of her. There's, nobody, there's not going to be anybody there to take her to church and those sort of things. But her and my daughter, they continued communication after we moved down here to Madison. They continued to communicate back and forth. They would send um, cassette tapes back to each other with their voices on it. And the transition was very hard for her and very hard for my daughter. And we would wake my daughter up in the morning to go to school. And she, she was on the second bunk of uh, bunk beds and down on the floor would be these littered Kleenexes, you know, that she'd cry herself to sleep and she'd, there'd be all these Kleenexes on the floor. 
So here we lost touch with Emily, of course. So here, probably 10 years ago. So this is 20 years later. We get this little message from Emily. And again, you know, there's people like this in all our lives. But not everyone is uh, articulate as Emily. Listen to what Emily wrote. This is on my daughter's Facebook page. One person. That was all it took to lead me to where I am now. One person to invite me over after school. To ask me to stay for dinner with her family. To invite me to church. To invite me to camp. To celebrate with me when I accepted Christ. I remember her dad. That's me. (laughs) Praying at dinner and thanking God that I was there with them. I remember her mom singing in the kitchen. Practicing songs for church. I remember when her brother's or sister would do something, get disciplined, and then get a hug and a I love you, just like on Full House. (laughs) I remember sometimes I couldn't stay at her house very long because it was family night. One person becoming my friend, and now I have the hope of eternal life. She introduced me to the one who would lead me through the hardest days of my life, the most joyful days and the days where I simply had to choose to keep moving forward. She moved right before middle school. It was the first time I remember experiencing a loss that shattered my tiny world. For a while, we sent each other letters in the form of tapes as we recorded our voices and sent them back and forth. We talked on the phone over the years. We visited each other at times. Life changed and we both moved forward. Friendship was never easy for me. Maybe that's why it was so hard when she left. But she left me with the most important and significant gift I ever received. She introduced me to the one who would always stay with me, who would never move and would always welcome me home. I'm married now to a man who loves Jesus and longs to follow wherever he leads. I stay at home with my little girl and sing songs that might turn her heart toward God. I pray that she would be a child who loves others and leads them to Jesus. That we might be a family that sets a desire for closeness with Christ in the hearts of others. Whenever I think back on my journey as a believer, it begins with her. I can imagine walking through that. I can't imagine walking through this life apart from my Lord and Savior. And I'll will ever, I will forever be grateful. And I hope that one day I might be the person, I hope one day I might be that person for someone else. Isn't that beautiful? Okay, that's not the end of the story. Hang on. Yeah, you should be saying that to me, right? Okay, so 10, so that was about 10 years ago. So last fall, my wife, Sandy, out of the blue, gets an email t- or a, a text, a phone text from Emily. Now, we have had no contact with her. I mean, this is the only contact we've had with her, okay? So then, uh, 10 years later, 
she writes another thing just to my just to my wife. She says this. I was just in my kitchen washing some dishes and singing along with Mandisa while my girls played with some neighbor boys in the living room. I had such a lovely flashback to being at your house while you were singing Jesus music in the kitchen. And then my eyes filled with tears over how thankful I am that God gave me that time with your family. I was praying that God would use our family to leave his mark on these boys, just as he used your family to leave his mark on mine. Grace and peace to you. Guys, does it get more powerful than that? I mean, just multiplying that by two. I mean, one is huge, right? But just multiplying it by two would be would be huger. But you think of the you think of the impact that we have on people around us. That we never hear about. Two communications. Two over the last 30 years. She could have easily been quiet. She could have easily said nothing. But because she's a school teacher and so articulate, it was easy for her to write and say, hey, this is the impact that you guys had on my life. And now raising her own kids. Who knows? Who knows what God's going to do through her? That's the power of an example is that God will use that. And I've seen this over and over and over again in my life and in the lives of others. And not only those that see my example, but the example that I see around me that makes me want to be better. That makes me want to do better. That makes me want to pray harder and be more passionate for the Lord and serve him more deeply. Guys, I'm hoping that we can be those people. I'm hoping that we can be those people. Um, so I think this is how we do it. And again, this is so very simple. I just offer it to you in its simplicity. But first of all, I think we have to realize that who we are, people see who we are. And they will... They will learn more, even, even though I love teaching the Bible and I love preaching and those sort of things. People will learn more about Jesus by who we are than what we'll ever tell them. You know, I wish Emily would have wrote me a letter and said, Greg, remember that teaching you did on the five divergent theories of the atonement? That, you know, that changed my life. <laughs> but nobody ever does that. Nobody ever does that, you know. What they do remember, though, from my messages and what I remember from other people's messages, and you guys will say amen, you remember the stories. You remember the stories. 
Because they're living examples to us. And we, not, we might not remember the sermon, but we even classify sermons. You know, that was the, that was the, uh, that was the, the shopping with Alice sermon. I mean, who could forget the shopping with Alice sermon, right? You know, nobody's going to ever forget that, you know. And those kind of people remember those kind of things because they're examples and they take resident within us. But I think this is how we become those examples to other people. Or before I say that, let me talk about um, uh, the, uh, where the example, our example flows mainly from. Is that... I, my notes are slightly different than yours. What's the what's the main heading number three? Okay, developing God example, and the first one is a Christian leader example flows from who they are in Christ. Uh, so this is under that one. God is doing a reconstruction uh, project in all of us. I love these verses in Romans chapter eight. Um, speaking of God's foreknowledge and and uh, uh, predestination, he says, um, "For those I foreknew, I also predestined to become like Jesus." In fact, the words are this in Romans eight twenty nine: "For those I foreknew, I also predestined to become conformed to the image." Of his son, or it more uh, directly, it says this for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. God is working through his foreknowledge um, to make us into the image of Jesus Christ. It says in Ephesians chapter 4 that we are growing together in him until we become to that place of the measure of the stature of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he is building us into that measure of the stature of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just like Jesus, but to the measure of the stature of the Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, this is the most amazing thing. That he in our lives is changing us. And sometimes we think we're a pretty big deal. You know, we got this squared away. We got that squared away. We got this. But isn't it funny how God reminds us after a while that, you know, we don't, we're not really that all together. We're really not all that, you know. But the glory goes to him because he is bringing change in our lives. And that's what the Bible tells us, that that it's him that is at work. Again, in 2 Peter, he says that we may become partakers of his divine nature. So this is a reality that when the Spirit of God at conversion comes into our life, it begins, the Spirit of God begins a reconstruction process out with the old and in with the new. And this is something that goes on day by day, moment by moment on throughout our lives. This is where, I mean, our example flows out of a lot of things, but the example that we want, this is where our example flows out of, of being and becoming more like Jesus. So the real answer to this question, how do we become better examples, is how do we become more like Jesus? Okay. I mean, we can be good examples, bad, and most of us are a combination, all of us are a combination of both. Uh, 
But how do we become those godly examples by becoming more like Jesus? So that begs the question, how do we become more like Jesus? So I want to take these final minutes to just talk about that. So this first step of becoming more like Jesus, obviously we want the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, you know. Um, we want the gifts of the Spirit. We want those works that He is predestined for us to accomplish. Um, we know that we, are, that we are His workmanship and that He is working through us. We also know that He wants to give wisdom and discernment and revelation in our lives. But how does this take place? I think very simply these two stages, which you can see in your notes. First of all, this. Christian leaders become the example they were meant to be by dying to self. Dying to self. This is what Paul says. It's so much easier to say than to do. That's why I'm I'm giggling to myself. I die daily. That the life of Jesus may be manifested in my body. I die daily that Jesus might be manifested through me. Now this term manifested is an interesting term. Uh, Paul could have used the Greek term here uh, uh, where we get our word apocalypse from. It means a revealing. Uh, Christ is revealed in me as I die daily. But he didn't use that term. He used this term uh, uh, is manifest in me. And it's more that when, when uh, apocalypso, that idea of revealing, is like, is like immediate. You know, it's like you're carrying around a small trash can and you want to, you know, you go up to somebody and you say, hey, you want to see what's inside my trash can? Ah, there you go. See? See? And then, you know, see? Uh, but manifestation, that is something that is more gradual. <laughs> That comes over time that is being manifest in my life. And it's also conditional, at least in this sense. I die daily. Of course, he's, he's talking about uh, saying yes to God and no to self. I die daily so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in my life. It's a conditional statement that's based on him dying. It's like what Jesus said, where he said, Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the kingdom, then he shall find it. Guys, this is where the abundant life lies. Is by saying no to self and yes to him. Dying to self so that his life could be manifest through us. I'm reading through an old, old old, old book uh, right now. Uh, it's called The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. Has anybody ever heard of it or read it? Okay. And in the section I'm in right now, Thomas Akempis is talking about mortifying the flesh. Thomas Akempis would not fit into our modern churches. <laughs> I mean, he's all about death to self, you know, and living for Jesus. I mean, in such a way that it's monastic, you know. I mean, he talks about go into your cell. That means your little room, you know, that monks live in. Go into your cell and make that your most joyous place, you know. Um, uh, don't seek the uh, fellowship with others and, you know, all these things because you'll grow deeper in love with Jesus, you know. So I think, I, I don't think there's, I, I think there's a lot of that that isn't healthy, you know. 
But I tell you what, he had, he had this idea of dying to self down, you know. <laughs> I remember years ago, um, I wanted, I loved fishing. But I didn't want to buy a fishing boat because I thought, I thought I'd, you know, backslide or something. I thought it would lead me away from the Lord, you know. So I finally heard a, 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 some other pastor preaching that he bought a sailboat and it saved his ministry. I thought... Yeah, my ministry needs saving. I'm going to get a fishing boat. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I went and got a fishing boat. Uh, I've since sold it, but I had a fishing boat for a while. Uh, so it doesn't, mean, it doesn't mean living in a cell necessarily all by yourself in some monastic sort of lifestyle. But I like saying it like this. It means saying yes to the Lord more and no to self more. Did I say that right? Yeah. No to self more and yes to the Lord more. And that is that dying to self, dying to self, dying to self. What should I do in this circumstance, Lord? Help me to follow you. And some of this comes with trial and error. You know, is that, that you know, has anybody else ever done this? You know, at least to some degree, that the Lord doesn't want you to go that way. But you go that way anyway, thinking, I must not be hearing the Lord right. Because this way seems like it's the right way. But then after you go that way, you're like, this is definitely the wrong way. You know? So you learn over time that, hey, just better to better to listen to the Lord and follow him. So this first idea is just simply dying to ourselves. But you have to have the second part as well. Living for Christ. So saying saying no to self more and yes to him more, laying aside sinfulness, laying those things aside, and laying aside the entanglements of the earth. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention this verse to you, and then I'm going to back off of it a little bit, so don't get hysterical before I get a chance to back off of it. <laughs> you know, Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, he said, you can get married if you want. But if you get married, your devotion is going to be divided. Now, most people, I was just talking to someone the other day about this who had, who had just gotten married. Most people, when they hear that verse, they think that now that I'm getting married, I wasn't married before, my attention is going to be divided in two because I'm adding this other person to my life. That's not what the word means. That word means splintered. You know, when you get married, your, your devotion is going to be splintered, you know, um, and there are so many other things in our, in our lives that, that take away that, that devotion from the Lord. There are, uh, Jesus said in his um, uh, parable about the, the seeds and the soils. You know, he said, he said some seed gets uh, uh, sown on a, on a soil and these, and these uh, plants come up and they choke it out. And when he explains it later on, he says, these are the cares and concerns of the world. These come, these come in and choke out the word. So there are all these things that, that on some level are, are not evil, but on some level, as we grow in him, might need to just be laid aside so that I can grow even the more. Now, what those things are, I'm not saying if you're married, get unmarried. I'm not saying that, okay? I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, I'm just saying there are things in our life that are, that are good. They're good things. And yet they do distract us from the Lord. Okay, so that's all under dying to self. The last part is simply living 
for Christ. Um, and how do we do that? I think the answer is in 2 Corinthians 3.18, where it says this, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So how do we grow in the Lord? This verse seems to indicate by beholding him. Again, back to the idea of example. By beholding him. I think what we need to do is put ourselves in a place where we can grow. Where we're not distracted by the things around us. It's not that we grow by reading our Bibles more, we become like him by reading our Bibles more, uh, by praying more. All those things do is put us in a place where the Spirit of God can change us. It kind of, I like to say it this way, it kind of puts us under the spigot, you know? It kind of gets us underneath the, the waterfall, you know, sort of thing, where God can change us. So I'm turning in my Bible to Mark uh, chapter 3. Jesus is calling his disciples to be with him. And it says this there in that section. It says this. And he went up to the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted. And they came to him and he appointed 12 so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority and to cast out demons. And he appointed the 12 and it goes on to list their names. For years, I would read this verse. And I would think, Lord, that's what I want. Send me out to heal the sick. To cast out demons. To raise the dead. That's the kind of ministry I want. I want a ministry that's filled with power and signs and wonders. And people are being changed and challenged. And something that's a little bit more spectacular. But how many dozens of times did I read over this where it says, and Jesus called 12 to be with him and to send them out. So the first step in this process is being with him, of beholding his glory. It all comes from being with Jesus. Everything our heart longs for, I believe, can be found in Jesus. Everything that heart longs for, we try to fill it with other things. We try to fill it with entertainment and money and possessions and power and other things. But everything this heart longs for can be found in Jesus. Whatever that is that is longing for money and longing for these other things, that can be met by Jesus. And how are we changed? Simply by being in his presence. And why? Certainly because of the spirit of God. Simply because he is God. But he is that example to us that brings that change. I was talking to someone. In fact, I was, I was teaching in our Romans class over at, at uh, Christian Life College. And, um, oh, I don't remember exactly what we were talking about, but... Uh, um, I think we we're talking about how we're changed or something like that, but um, what was I just saying before I got to off track with the Romans class? Everything we long for can be found in Jesus. Thank you. 
That doesn't help, but thank you. <laughs> what was I saying right before that? Being with him. Being with him. He called the twelve to be with him and then to send them out. That's right. That's right. Still doesn't help though. <laughs> okay, maybe it'll maybe it'll come back to me. Uh, I shouldn't have I shouldn't have digressed out of the Romans class. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, so this is simply that idea of being with him, of being near him, of being close to him. Basically what I said earlier, of being in that place where he can change us. Now, we all want to be something for the Lord. That's why we're here. We all want to be the best leader we can be. We want to be the best person we can be. Um, and like I said in the beginning, you know, I'm not an authority on these things, but I have been doing this for a while. And I just feel like what we need most is to be an example to those people around us. And the way that we can be the best example is simply being with Jesus. And that might seem like a super oversimplification. But I think that's it. I think that's it, is to be with Jesus and then burn for him and other people will come and watch the fire. You know? John Wesley? Something like that, yeah. 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 Okay, guys. Uh, Any questions or comments or anything? Thank you. You're welcome. Yes. Was that what you were, the train of thought was being with Jesus because before that you said um, you wanted to be called to drive out demons and do all these great things, but what you really could have been focusing on being with Jesus? Was that it? Did that help? No. Okay. Valiant attempt, Greg. Yes. Yes. Anybody else? Okay, let's pray. Guys, when you go down, um, you can go right to the line and go right through the line. Okay, don't wait for other people to come down there. Other people might already be there, but go right to the line. There's lines on both sides. Okay. So you can go down this side or that side. Let's pray. Lord, it's so easy to miss the things that you have for us in this life. Um, just, to, just to be so busy getting on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and we haven't even implemented the last thing, and here we got something else that we're, we're learning and trying to implement. And so, Lord, um, we're praying together for those who need it most in this room. Lord, let them receive that which you have for them. Like we said earlier, Lord, let it take root and let it bring forth 30, 60, 100-fold. And Lord, cause us, no matter where we're at in you, cause us to be a blessing to those around us today, we pray. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, you guys.